Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast Theo Beidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring a song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play. I want to start today's episode by saying that this song is a jam. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I thought it was going to be something like really serious you needed to address. No, 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 no. Okay. No skeleton's the closet. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, this song is a jam. It was a massive hit, and it was not this artist's only hit. Okay. So I feel like it typically wouldn't qualify for a you want to hit song. I mean, we've had a lot of artists that have had lots of hits. We we've have. Had, we have. We've had but Phil I think Collins. Song, we've had Nirvana. We've had Santana. When you hear the song, though, I wonder what your opinion will be because it's a big hit. I love this song. Okay. But I always felt like it was a little weird. Okay. I like it. And that's why. I've definitely got some of those on my list. All right. So here we go. It sounds familiar. Oh, you definitely know the song. Maybe I'm just not super familiar with the intro. Oh, yeah. Betty. Oh, yeah. Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Karn. Of course. Okay. I don't know much about Kim Karn. Nor did I. But I know I know this song. Yeah, the song I, I knew. Oh, this is a weird song. Okay. So I'm not the only one. <laughs> I think it's a, this is, a, uh, I think, maybe a delightfully weird song. Yeah. As I dug into it, I realized how big of a song it was. And how popular yeah. the song it was. So I wondered if I was like in the minority here. But I, I mean, think there, some of our songs we've covered have been just enormous hits people love. But you listen to it and you're, that's the whole thing. As you listen to it, it comes on the radio and you're like, wait a minute. What, what's going on here? I do love the song. I think for me, the first time I heard it, I would have been young, very young. And yeah. I wouldn't know who Betty Davis was. I still I honestly didn't fully know who she was. I know she's a Hollywood icon. Yeah. But I didn't know much about her until recently. And I don't know, something, there's like a weird, like, haunting way that this song is sung. And then just the idea mm-hmm. of, like, saying you have Betty Davis eyes. It wasn't like you have eyes like Betty Davis or, you know, yeah. or, or like a compliment on its face. It's very, like, a weird way to say it, I feel like. And that's why I've always, the song has stuck with me for so long. I've also not really... Uh, listen to it closely. This is like a song I'd like hear, you know, in the background or it's on the radio in a cab or something. Yeah. Uh, but um, I'm sure on the radio, like when my parents will listen to the radio, but um, I don't really know what it's about. And I assume that she's speaking to a woman or it's directed toward a woman. It is directed towards a woman. Yeah. We'll, we'll get okay. into it like, because uh, I mean, I'm just saying it's the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to dive in. Well, yeah. Well, well, well let's do that. So, Kim Carnes, our artist here, was born on July 20th, 1945. She was born and raised in Los Angeles, Pasadena, to be exact. And even though she wasn't born into a musical family, she knew she wanted to be an artist uh, ever since she was was a young girl. Uh, She Mm -hmm. was writing songs all throughout her youth and even signed her first publishing deal 
1962. So she would have been only 17 or 18 years old signing My her God. first publishing deal. Just pretty badass. Okay. She signed with Jimmy Bowen, which I was not familiar with, but Jimmy was a rockabilly singer turned successful producer and music executive. I don't think I'm familiar with him. He, I think he was in L.A. for a bit and then would navigate to Nashville. Uh, he would go on to work with the likes of Glenn Campbell, Kenny Rogers, Hank Williams Jr., uh, the Oak Ridge uh, okay. Boys, Conway Twitty, Reuben McIntyre, Oak Ridge Boys, Strait, let's go. Garth Brooks. Uh, he's also Damn. credited with helping revolutionize Nashville recording, bringing them into the, the digital recording era, bringing Nashville into the digital recording era. For better or worse. While writing songs for Jimmy, uh, Kim was also playing gigs around L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was also dabbling in some acting as well. She had some minor roles here and there, but nothing uh, nothing of note. Okay. In the late 1960s, Kim would join the new Christy Minstrels. Were you aware of them? No. So it's a folk rock group started by Randy Sparks in 1961. From what I can tell, the group was supposed to be primarily a recording group that was doing these like old folk tunes but they started touring throughout the 60s and then it just kind of became this like this big band of, of folks that were coming and going many musicians would, would play for a year or two and then drop out okay so kim joined in 1966 alongside musicians such as mike settle dave ellingson and others including most notably kenny rogers oh okay i don't so know those other kim. guys i know kenny rogers well, we'll get back to their guys. Oh, okay. I mentioned right. them. Uh, to quote Kim, she said, An agent friend of mine told me they needed a replacement for one of the girls in the group and suggested I try out for the job. He said it would be good experience for me because I'd never really been on the road. I didn't like folk music, and I especially didn't like the new Christy Minstrels. I always thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> the idea of young kids standing up here singing songs about slavery and what it was like. But I got the job I was, the next morning. I was, I was wondering. To to Lake Tahoe. Yeah, I had some questions about about the name. Yeah, it does seem to... I didn't dig into too much, but it does seem to be a little bit of a, uh, a weird uh, yeah. organization. I'm guessing it's all white, white people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Of course. Well, there was one Japanese girl, so... Uh, okay. I know that much, at least. So okay. maybe, maybe they're... Maybe not. I mean, I would guess they're probably singing old... A lot of old folk blues country etc songs are written by uh you know black folks that were uh writing songs in the late 1800s you know that's kind of where a lot of that began so they yeah. they may just be paying homage but uh and you get a bunch of white kids from la yeah singing their tunes right kim well, was not a big fan uh she would go in and out of the group for a few years she talked about the, the touring schedule was grueling uh, that there was no real care for the performers and that the road was pretty lonely, given that she was one of the only few women that was ever out on tour with this crew. Hey, this is all still true. Yeah, uh, <laughs> th- that is true. She would, however, credit this time with teaching her how to be on the road. She would also become good friends with Kenny Rogers during this time and even better friends with the musician I mentioned earlier, Dave Ellingson, uh, mm-hmm. as they will later go on to get married. Uh, oh. they're, they're still together today. Love was in the air yeah. on the road. On her relationship with Kenny, she said, A day or so before Kenny was leaving the group to join the first edition, Kenny and I were having breakfast in Cincinnati. And he said, A year from now, I'm going to have a hit record. I said, Yeah, yeah, sure, me too. In those days, everyone in the group was sure that they was going to be the next big star. But he said, No, I'm not kidding. It's all going to work. And it did. That's kind of fun, though. All aside. right. More, uh, more prophesizing. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, for Kim, it was it seems like the the first real introduction to, to the to the pop world was via the 1971 movie Vanishing Point. Her song that sounds familiar. It did sound kind of familiar. Her song yeah. Nobody Knows was featured uh, as the end credits for the song, although it was not written by her. 71. Yeah. Yeah. It was written by Mike Settle, who I mentioned earlier, mm. who was also in the new Christie Minstrels. It's a little more country in nature. Yeah, which I guess it kind of makes sense where she came from. This is this is like a very typical like country song that would be in a movie. Hundred percent at that time. Yeah, I feel like it, I think it was written for the movie, so that would make sense. Yeah. Oh, it gets pretty soulful in the chorus. It's got horns and with the choir and everything. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah. Not uh, bad. So like I said, she did not write that song, but she did write another song for the movie, which was okay. entitled Sing Out for Jesus, which was recorded by Willie Mae Big Mama Thornton. Oh, cool. I mean, Big Mama Thornton is a legend. Yeah. So this must have been her first like big credit. Writing credit. I'm pretty sure Big Mama Thornton was the first artist to record Hound Dog before Elvis. Really? Pretty sure, yeah. Oh, that's cool. It was 1971 when Kim would also record her debut album, Rest On Me, which was produced by Jimmy Bowen. Uh, also in the early 70s, Kim and her husband teamed up with David Cassidy and wrote many of his songs while at the really? peak of his career. Huh. Uh, she would also open up many of his shows. That was big at the time. That was like yeah. prime, prime time teen heartthrob David Cassidy. Yeah. yeah, so she toured with him during the 70s as well. In 1975, she released her second album, which was self-titled, and featured her first charting song, You're a Part of Me, which landed at number 32 on the U.S. Adult Contemporary Charts. This is her first charting song that she wrote and sang. Yeah. It's very... Uh, got, like, some Joni Mitchell going on here. Yeah, it's very, like, singer-songwriter of the 70s style. Yeah, or maybe more like uh, Carpenters. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a good one. She would later re-record that song, however, with Gene Cotton, um, and that version would reach number 36 on the Billboard Hot 100. I don't think I'm familiar with Gene Cotton. I knew the name. It's quite the name. It is. She's got a cool voice. It's like raspy. Mm-hmm. It's like a really good voice. Her voice is more like interesting a... than Cotton's. Yeah, I agree. So it's funny that this one... Uh, was the, the more popular? Yeah, she does. She has a rock and roll voice. Yeah. Yeah, she sounds awesome in this. She she really wasn't playing into that in the last track, the last version of the song. No, I think this it produced better as well. So it just sounds. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is sappy '70s ballad stuff, but she sounds awesome. Yeah. So on her third album. Sailing, which was released in 1976, she would record the song Love Comes from Unexpected Places, which okay. would be one of her many songs that Barbara Streisand would go on to record, uh, which is great. Good for her. I'll send you the Barbara Streisand That, that all kind of checks out. Yeah. I think I've seen this before, but the cover for Streisand's Superman is so awesome. Oh, yeah. The cover art. Or she's just in tube socks and a Superman t-shirt, and that's it. <laughs> so yeah, handful of songs written uh, for Streisand different times here. And then in 1979, for some reason, Kim 
would record a single under a pseudonym. Uh, the song was called Dances with Meat, and she called herself <laughs> she called herself Connie Con Carne. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of great. Was well, just for just for fun? It must have been, I guess. Like, uh, I mean, the song is funny. I couldn't find the whole song. I found this very weird old GeoCities website that has a clip of it. So, like, I'm so curious. Like, what? It's just a funny meat song about a girl, a woman who dances with meat when she's alone because she wants to get away from her family or something. Can you imagine? She said to her label, "She's like, all right, hear me out." I mean. It must have been some joke, like Kim Carnes. They must have been joking around, like Carnes, yeah. and she. Wrote... I mean, it's not bad. It's kind of cool. It's very funny. The, the lyrics are down below, so you can get an idea of what oh, okay. the, rest of the song would be like. But if anyone knows uh, how to find uh, the Connie Con Carne classic, let us know. Someone's got the forty-five somewhere. I'd imagine it's going to be a good uh, thrift store find right there. Uh, I just need to point out that the last, the closing lines of the song are, she's tried everything from bananas to toast, but nothing beats cheek to cheek with a rump roast. <laughs> she dances, she prances, she dances, romances with meat. This is a woman who wrote hit songs for Barbara Streisand over here. <laughs> <laughs> I also must point out that we were listening to that on Captain Wayne's Mad Music.com. Well, of course. Uh, it's, you know, I'd say probably like 2003 internet. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then he, I guess Captain Wayne is this little uh, cartoon at the top left. He's a, a pirate. What, he just posts weird stuff on here? Oh, he does. It's a radio show. Like pirate radio, I guess. I guess. Where <laughs> um, he's playing things like this. You know what? We need people like that doing weird shit like there's this. There's a so, uh, Captain Wayne. This it's, this it's still real. going on, dude. There's a a new Mad Music show number two sixty two from January fifth this year. Love it. Might have to do a, a deeper dive here. Yeah, might might have. I'm, to. I'm gonna leave this tab yeah, open. He's, looks like he's still going strong. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna leave that January fifth. <laughs> okay. Yeah, keep it open. Let's see what's going on. So that brings us to the 1980s, and in 1980. Kim will record Don't Fall in Love with a Dreamer with her good friend Kenny Rogers, which I believe was the, the decent size hit. Kenny Rogers always leaning on the talented ladies in his life. <laughs> yeah, this this rings a bell. Like, I feel like I've seen her name with his. Potentially. I, I think they've had a couple to go. Could be wrong. They, I mean, obviously, they're good friends throughout their life. But again, her raspy voice just kind of like takes over. Cool. For, for a ballad, you know? Mm-hmm. Ah, this is... This, this era, Kenny Rogers, is just so saccharine. <laughs> oh, it's great. <laughs> it's something. You can just imagine him, like, slowly strutting on a stage. Some dope-ass blue suit or something. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, yeah so then she on. comes in and she's just killing yeah, she's as killing. she does. I, I'm so curious about, and I know we're going to learn about it, but so curious about where how she got from like 70s soft rock to uh, the song we heard at the beginning. It's just quite the journey. Yeah, I think she's just kind of, uh, I think she's a songwriter at heart. She kind of chases what's yeah, happening right. and, and is adapting to the changing styles. Mm-hmm. So that was a big song. That would go number four 
on the pop charts, number three on Adult Contemporary, and number two on Country. All over the and map. This song, this song was written by Kim and her husband Dave, actually. Because Kenny couldn't write a song. Yeah. So later that year, she would also release a cover song of the Smokey Robinson song, More Love. Mm-hmm. This became her first solo top 10 hit, number 10 in the pop charts and number six in the adult contemporary charts. Okay. And this is where we start getting into uh, oh, to big, big synthesizer. Oh, yeah. Well, like funky disco thing going on. It does. It's, um, it is kind of a good meld between the 70s and 80s coming in. It totally like, does. A little synth, definitely some disco. Her voice yeah. still commands like a... A 70s crooner This video would. is ridiculous. Video nuts, yeah. She just threw a fork while she was singing and it stabbed a guy in the foot and it appears the piano is on fire. She's, it, she's in a fancy hotel room. They're all, they're all dressed in tuxedos which gives me uh, Toto vibes. <laughs> it looks like she's just singing the song while like chaos happens around her. <laughs> It's like an SNL sketch from the end of the episode. It does, does kind of feel like that way. Uh, apparently, Smokey loved her version so much that he wrote the song Being With You for Kim after hearing this. Oh, that's cool. Uh, however, his producer at the time persuaded Smokey himself to record the song, which he did, and it went number one. <laughs> Smokey, what a boss. I love the song. This is a this is a groovy tune. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know I don't think I knew the name of the song. I didn't connect Yeah, he intended on this being her song. <laughs> yeah, so he wrote this for her. So Smokey was quoted saying, there's a guy who lives here in LA named George Tobin. George is the record producer, or he was at the time. I don't know what he's doing now. But he had produced one of my songs on Kim and had a huge record with her with more love. I kept hearing it over and over on the radio. It was a big hit for her. When I hear stuff like that, I quickly see if I can write some other songs for that artist, so maybe I can get the next record on them. So that's what happened. I wrote four yeah. songs for Kim Carnes, and Being You was one of those songs. I go to George's studio, I play him the song, and when I played Being With You, he said, man, I really love that one, and I love the way you're singing. I said, oh, thanks, man. It should be a hit for her. He said, no, no, I want to record it on you. But I said, no, George, I wrote it for Kim. We went through 15 minutes of no you, no Kim. (laughs) Finally, he said to me, come to my studio tonight. We'll make a demo for Kim. I said, okay, fine. And the record went number one for me. That was a demo I made for Kim. Man. It's pretty wild. So that's the demo that we were just hearing? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. I gathered two things from that that story. One, some producers just know. Like, we've had a lot of stories like that where there's like, how did they have this inkling? And then it goes number one. Like, they had some weird thing that they were trying to argue for seemingly random seemingly weird and it just works it happens it's interesting too because george had produced kim as well so it wasn't like he was trying to just be the producer it was a, a mix of like yeah he just knew it was for smoky right and then also smoky i like it he's he's a guy that tries to do what he says he'll do smart on him to write a bunch of songs for someone when they cut one of his songs like that's that's uh publishing yeah. 101 right there <laughs> yeah yeah, it definitely is. So yeah, maybe Kim missed her chance at her first number one there, but no love lost because a year later, in 1981, Kim will record and release her version of Betty Davis' Eyes. What? Yeah. 
So while Kim is a prolific writer, her biggest song, much like Joan Osborne, her biggest song is not her. Oh, hit. man. I didn't see I that know. coming. I know. It's so interesting when that happens. So, Betty Davis Eyes was originally written by Jackie D. Shannon and Donna Wise, mm. and was originally recorded and released by Jackie in 1975. Okay. Well, let's hear the OG. Yeah, much more of like a, I don't know, almost like a ragtime. Yeah. I was going to say that, or like a... Kind of show tune rockabilly, yeah. Little uh I mean, early 70, 74, so... Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, it's fun. I kind of like this. It's pretty good. <laughs> like you don't hear about as many women duo songwriting teams That's as true. you do yeah. men or a man and a woman. So I wasn't familiar with Jackie D. Shannon, but apparently she rose to fame with her rendition of the Burt Baccarat, Hal Davis song, What the World Needs Now is Love. Total jam. Ah, the crack of a can snack, as Theo says. And how can we not celebrate that sound when it often means we're about to enjoy a refreshing craft brew from our friends at Sierra Nevada? You've heard us tout all of our favorites here on the show. Right now, their crisp little thing is my go-to. It's a crusher, combining premium malts and layback hops for unreal balance and pure refreshment in every crisp, clean sip. It's low-key complex, a dash of sweetness, a flash of citrus, for irresistible flavor that's easy drinking above all else. Look for it as part of the Sierra Nevada Little Things Party Pack wherever you get your favorite craft beers. Jackie will go on to have a fair amount of success in the music industry. I mean, number one, she wrote this song, so she gets a little, a little money there. Uh, however, she holds at least two insane music connections. Number one, she was direct support of the Beatles on their first tour of the U.S. What? Which is insane. The, I mean, the tour that we always hear about. They're coming off the plane. People are losing their minds. Yeah. She's support on that? Oh, she, my God. That is support that's on that incredible. Tour. Very cool. Yeah. And... I read, quote, she was a companion of Jimmy Page, and it is rumored that the Led Zeppelin song Tangerine was written by Page about their breakup. So, I mean, one of my favorite Zeppelin songs. How like, crazy top, is top, that? Top, top ones. Wow. So she's in the pantheon of the Beatles and Zeppelin. I, I feel like I should be way more familiar with her. Yeah, you might need to do a little deep dive there. How wild is that? Huh. Wow. What a life. Yeah. So in one interview, Jackie talked about writing Betty Davis eyes, saying, we love Betty Davis. We were always talking about what great movies and how we love her. And anyway, Donna had this idea and she brought a lot of papers over one day. She said, do you think you can make anything out of this? So I kind of went through, looked at some lyrics and put some things together and we wrote a song. Donna said she had been moved to write this evocative portrait of a teasing woman after seeing actor Paul Henry lighting cigarettes for Betty Davis near the end of the classic 1942 film, Now Voyager. <laughs> Love this. This is so specific. I'm so excited. Like Betty Davis' acting style. Right. I'm immune to happiness. You weren't immune that night on the mountain. Do you call that happiness? Right. My darling, you are crying. Yeah, there she is. 
These are only tears of gratitude. Don't talk like that. You see, no one ever called me darling before. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting the vibe here for yeah. sure. Jackie said in, in getting the song to Kim years later, we went to demo it and we did a pretty good rock version, and we have demos of that. When I went in to record it, though, the producer said, I don't hear it that way. He was very adamant about turning it in, around into something different. So time went on, and Donna was sending the song around to different people, the version that we had recorded on the demo. She was taking some other songs over to Kim Carnes because she was recording, and she just happened mm. to have that demo with her, and she gave it to Kim, and the rest is history. Wow. Of that story, the producer of, of Kim's album, Val Garay, remarked, Donna Wise called me one day and said that he had a song that she had just finished writing with Bruce Roberts and could she come over and play it for Kim and me at my office. So she came over and played us the song and Kim and I kind of looked at each other and we thought, yeah, not bad, but it wasn't what we were looking for. So she said, well, you know, I have this other song that I gave to George Tobin and nothing ever came of it. And that was Betty Davis eyes. Kim had actually heard it and liked Mm. it, but nothing had been done with it. She played the demo for me, and it was a totally different than the record. It sounded like a Leon Russell track with this beer barrel yeah. polka piano part. Yeah. But I love the melody, yep. and I love the lyrics. That's dead on. Yeah. Jackie DeShannon, she hadn't released this version of her version of Betty Davis Eyes, the one we I, listened to? No, I think she did. Oh, okay. I heard a couple different things, but it, it sounds like overall she, she had released it. Okay. It was Kim's keyboardist on the session, Bill Cuomo, who came up with a signature synthesizer riff on the Prophet 5. Garay, the producer, talked about recording the song. He said, I took the band into Leeds Rehearsal Studio in North Hollywood for three weeks, and we rehearsed everything. Oddly enough, the night that we were rehearsing Betty Davis' eyes was the night that John Lennon was murdered. Someone came into the studio in the middle of the rehearsal and told us. Very weird. Wow. Anyway, we cut Betty Davis' eyes totally live at Record One, which was his studio. Every note, the percussion, even the scenario, mm-hmm. and Kim's vocals. There was never an overdub. I think we did three takes, and the one we used was the first take. I did a rough mix the night we cut it, wow, and then I spent course. four days chasing that mix when we mixed the album later, and I never could beat that first one. Also, of course, there's a John Lennon connection after Jackie DeShannon. Yeah, wild, right? Already had, already had one. So I mentioned that I was not fully aware of Betty Davis. We just watched a clip of her. Um but she's probably best known for her role as Margot Channing in the 1950 film All About Eve. Uh, and of course, she had some haunting eyes and very uh, unique eyes. She did. In an article by Joshua James Amberson, he talked about growing up watching movies with his grandparents and spoke of Betty saying, she was simply different. She confused my categorical understanding of the world. She had a way of looking both youthful and ancient, grotesque and glamorous. And the characters were often mean-spirited anti-heroines. She was evil twin, the cruel matriarch, the woman who stole her sister's husband, the nanny who drowned the baby. <laughs> and he quoted biographer Ed Sikoff, who said, Few have equaled Davis's capacity to risk generating an audience's thoroughgoing contempt, let alone openly invite it. She dares us to hate her, and we often do. Joshua continues in the article, According to Davis herself, it was only because of her eyes that her first three-month contract was renewed. <laughs> Universal Studios head Carl Lamal Jr. after her screen test said she was about she has about as much sex appeal as Slim Somerville. And let me sh- let me send you some pictures of Slim Somerville so you can get <laughs> yeah, an I don't idea know that how is. that was not nearly a compliment. Uh, not a good looking no. man. Not a <laughs> Perry Davis, much better looking than him. <laughs> <clears throat> I agree. 
some other notable quotes. Uh, novelist Graham Greene said of her, pale ash blonde hair, the popping neurotic eyes, a kind of corrupt and phosphorant prettiness. Yeah. Warner Brothers studio head Jack Warner said, she had a magic quality that transformed this sometimes bland and not beautiful little girl into a great artist. These men sure have a lot to say about her. I know, right? Davis once said of herself, Hollywood always wanted me to be pretty, but I fought for realism. Yeah, I mean, definitely in some of her roles, she was, you know, that that wasn't the the point of her character, what she was trying to do. When I'm sure, meanwhile, plenty of there are plenty of other films or roles or whatever where they're like, yeah, just just look pretty. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, probably I mean, that it was such a uh, misogynistic mm-hmm. industry now, yeah. but back then, especially. Yeah. Uh, about her eyes, for what it's worth, Joshua Amberson in that article said, quote, some suggest Davis's eyes were the result of an autoimmune thyroid condition called Graves disease. Wow. Swelling the muscles around the eye and the surrounding tissue, the condition pushes the eyeballs forward, causing them to protrude, limiting their movement. This is pure Internet age speculation, and it's perhaps unlikely that someone with the level of wealth and access to medical professionals that Davis had would have had a serious disease slip by undiagnosed. So hmm. probably nothing there, but interesting nonetheless. I watched, I watched, uh, what happened to baby Jane not too long ago. <laughs> interesting. I, mean, I, I gotta go back and watch some. She's much older in it. It's 1962. And she, she plays, okay. uh, uh, well, Joan Crawford's in it. And I guess they were kind of rivals. They were, yeah. They hate each other, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, she she plays. Uh, I think a lot she of plays quite the villain in that movie, and you know, especially in her older age too, she could really lean into it. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll come back to Betty Davis, but all this is kind of actually fitting in with the song itself, right? And uh, I think Tom Brahan laid it out best in his number one article of the song, saying, "So it hit number one. It did. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wasn't going to hold that out to you. Um, all right, we're we're going to Tom's." trusty stereo gum column we are he said on paper betty davis eyes is a warning karn sings about a man eater a woman who will happily manipulate and destroy anyone she meets the song uses classic Mm. film vocabulary to let you know who you're dealing with here betty davis eyes harlow gold hair greta garbo standoff size the writing is precise and elegant but it's mean too the girl in the song is pure as new york snow which is not exactly a compliment but Betty Davis' eyes plays more <laughs> as a love song than an incident indictment. Mm-hmm. Karn sings about this girl with warmth and fondness. She admires her. Maybe there's some envy in there, too. The woman in the song doesn't seem like a threat. She seems impossibly sexy and glamorous and unflappable. We've kind of got like a Jolene thing going a on A little here. bit, yeah. Huh. So this brings us to a, a, a good point to watch the video, eh? Well, let's watch the music video. Let's do it. So now when I hear it, it's funny because when I heard it earlier, for some reason I didn't place it right away. And now I'm like, oh, of course. That riff at the beginning, you know? Yeah, you know the song. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, she looks so cool in this video. Definitely. It's interesting that she's she's wearing sunglasses, so you can't see her eyes. That's true. Kim. I didn't think about that. Got the fan on the hair. Oh, yeah. She's wearing a, a suit. Yeah, great rock and roll voice. So that that is her band there. Uh, the band is like dressed like pirates. They're dressed like pirates for some reason, and she said what? that the band never let her down for that. They hated it. <laughs> they never let it go. They did not. 
It seems very out of place. There's nothing pirate related in this video. Who knows? The 80s, man. The video's got that, got that, like, um, that very 80s, uh, like, white fog oh, over yeah. it. The, like, it's getting weirder. It's getting a little strange. There's, like, uh, the whole, like, ballroom dance scene almost. And, and like, and, like, some, like, geishas? Yeah. And they're all slapping each other? <laughs> Man, that vocal take is so good. You said it was only the third one? This is the first take. Oh, it's yeah, first they, they take. They did three takes, but they used the first one. Oh, that's right. They used Recorded the first one. Recorded all live. It sounds so good. <coughs> yeah, very light guitar in this. It's heavy synth oh, yeah. and drums. The slapping is weird. Choreographed slapping across the face. I don't really know what it has to do with the song. So I never really thought about what this song... Like, I haven't really paid attention to the lyrics but it's almost like a a warning yeah against this yeah it's like she's woman. a she's a, a woman that'll suck you in and throw you out she's a man eater man eater but she might want to fuck her <laughs> <laughs> well I mean uh, a siren has their powers Kim Carnes might might want to check out this Betty Davis eyed woman herself so, jam the song great video uh, yeah Kim I, talk- I do like this song I don't like everything from this era of, of 80s pop rock but this this song's a jam it's fair it's fair yeah uh, Kim talked about picking the director for this video and apparently she sat in the a conference room with the label head for, for days on end going through different videos trying to figure out who they should work with, and they saw this video by Classics Nouveau called Guilty. Watch a couple that, seconds of it. Because that video is weird. And this video is... More sunglasses. Equally weird. Very similar in nature. Yeah, it's like the same costumes all doing choreographed stuff as the other video. <laughs> yeah, but man, it worked. So, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, the, the music video director here is Russell uh, Mulcahy? Okay. Okay. Uh, they reached out to him uh, to direct Kim's video. This, he's an uh, Australian who is living in the UK, and this will be his first video that he directs in the States. Uh, he has also worked with, or, and I don't know, I think he did some of these prior and some of these after, but uh, he is the director for The Vapors Turning Japanese. Oh. Even more wild, he's the director for The Bugles video Killed the Radio Star. Oh, he will go the on buggles. to work We've with... gone over this. It's the Buggles. Oh, buggles. I always do that. <laughs> uh, 2G. Uh, he, he will go on to work with Duran Duran, Ice House, Bandu Ballet. I think we've, that's a video that we've seen a bunch of times. Yeah. Uh, he did Gypsy for Fleetwood Mac. He did Allentown and Madam Trust for Billy Joel. Worked with Bonnie yeah, Tyler. Total Clips oh, of the Heart. Oh, he had to have done that Bonnie Tyler video, the vampire one. Uh, he did Total Clips of the Heart. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That's it. Including. That's it. So he, he did a lot of hers. Oh yeah, uh, that video looks just like these two. It's, yep, he worked with this Brad classics Stewart. nouveau guy. Looks like uh, Voldemort. I was thinking uh, your boy from uh, Smashing Pumpkins, <laughs> Billy Corgan. He <laughs> yeah. does a little bit, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> uh, Russell also worked with Elton John, and he even has a cameo in the video that he directed for Elton. I'm still standing. Oh, that's a great video. Yeah. Uh, he will go on to direct the movie Highlander as well as Resident Evil Extinction. So, dude's had a career. Yeah, he uh, really has. He, all right, so he did some stuff later because I don't John video is totally different than this. Yeah, yeah. 
this video came out about five to six months before MTV. Uh, and I, huh. I read somewhere else that MTV actually debuted the week after Betty Davis eyes fell off the number one spot. Oh, so did they, end up, playing it? they had to end up playing it. Yeah, they did. They did. Yeah. But it didn't what were they with doing that. with these videos before MTV? <laughs> so Kim mentioned that in Europe, they would play them a lot more frequently. Mm. She said all over the world, the video was being played in America. Got it. You could see it on some cable channels as like interludes. Uh, but uh, most of the time they were playing them at movie theaters. Huh. Yeah, movies, I'd love to see a music video before a movie at the movie theater. I know. I'm into that. That's great. So we know it went number one. Uh, so I'm we not going to, I'm not going to put you up on that one, but, uh, how about this? How many weeks did it spend at number one? Well, you said that it fell off, so it had to be there for a little bit. This is a big song. I'm going to go seven weeks at number one. Hmm, very close. Went nine weeks. Okay. Nine non-consecutive weeks, however. Oh, it was fighting one, something? Number one for five weeks, and then it'll drop off for a week and come back for another four weeks. The song that over or that, that cuts in the middle there it's called Stars on 45. Oh, yeah. Uh, People have requested that we do this. The the medley? I think we might need to at some point. We've had several several listeners ask us to cover this song. I was not show. familiar. All right, well, we'll put it in the list. Yeah. It's a medley of... Of the hit songs. The hit the songs era. that are on Stars of 45 compilations. Which, by the way, I think they redid it like a year later or six months later, and it includes um, Petty Davis. Oh, really? So. <laughs> yeah. Uh so the w- first week too. that it the first week that Betty Davis eyes was number one was the week of May sixteenth, nineteen eighty one. Uh number one we've got Betty Davis eyes. At number two we have Just the Two of Us by Grover mm-hmm. Washington Jr. and Bill Withers. Big song. Yeah, great song. Being with you by Smokey Robinson. Oh, Smokey. Number four, Angel wait, of the Morning. Wait, wait, wait. wait yeah. That's not the song though, is it? Oh, uh, it is. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, yeah, that's the song. That's the uh, song that he wrote for Kim, but she's yeah. at number one and he's at number three. <laughs> Probably coming down. Uh, no, it's going up. Oh, it's going up. Oh yeah, shit, yeah. he's coming for her. Yeah, yeah. that's wild. It's very wild. <laughs> uh, Angel of the Morning by Juice Newton. Oh yeah, big song. I would never have guessed the name of the artist. I had no idea. Oh yeah. Uh, same with this next one, Morning Train, nine to five. Big song. It's by Sh- uh, Sheena Easton. Wait, Sheena Easton? Yeah. Wait, which song? Morning Train. Morning Train. Morning Train 9 to 5. I mean, I know Sheena Easton. Sheena Easton did some stuff with uh, Kenny Rogers, too. Ah, all right. At number six, we have Take It on the Run by Ario Speedwagon. Mm -hmm. Number seven, Living Inside Myself by Gino Vanelli. Do I know that song? I I recognize it. Let me find it real quick. I felt like it sounded kind of familiar, but also much it sounds like. Wow, I hate this. Yeah, it's not good. Number eight <laughs> was uh, Sukiyaki, A Taste of Honey, which I was not familiar with. Is that one we're going to need to talk about? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. At number nine, we have Kiss on My List by oh. John Oates and Daryl Hall. And then we have Too Much Time on My Hands by Styx. Wow, we're in an era of music that I do not enjoy very much. <laughs> well, yeah, so that was the first week it was number one. The last week it was number one was July... 18th and it's an entirely different top 10 wow that's wild so we'll burn through these real Fought quick them all off number two all those years ago by george harrison 
Mm-hmm. Number three, the one that you love by Air Supply. Mm. Number four, Jesse's Girl. Talk about that okay. one eventually. I can, number five, I can deal with that song. Number five, Hall Notes again, but a different song. You Make My Dreams. Oh, yeah. Big, I had to go number one. Number six, Elvira by the Oak Ridge Boys. Oh, the Oaks. Another song we could talk about. Oaks. Uh, number seven, theme from Greatest American Hero, believe it or not. Oh. Joey Scarberry. That needs to be talked about. Yeah. And then we got our friend Kenny Rogers at number eight, I Don't Need You. And number nine, Slow Hand by the Pointer Sisters. And number 10, Boy from New York City by Manhattan mm. Transfer. That was a way better top 10 than the other one. Yeah. But interesting time. Yeah, uh, Betty Davis interesting eyes, time. Betty Davis Eyes was number two in Canada for 12 consecutive weeks. Oh. I think, I think behind Stars Run 45 the entire time. <laughs> it went number 10 in the UK, number one in 21 different countries overall. The album, the song was on, went number one and stayed there for four weeks in the U.S. And it was the biggest song of the year in 1981. And get this, the second biggest song in the whole decade. What? Behind Olivia Newton-John's Physical. Whoa. Physical's number one? It is number 18 on Billboard's greatest of all time Hot 100 songs. Really? That's huge. The number one wasn't uh, anything from Thriller. I'm pretty surprised by that. And yeah, no. Huh. Wow. Crazy. Wow. I feel I feel a little embarrassed that it took me 20 seconds to figure out what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the song won the 1981 Grammy Awards for Song of the Year and Record of the Year. Uh, the album wow. went up for Record of the Year, but lost to John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Okay. Uh, and Kim was also up for uh, female pop vocal performance, but lost to Lena Horne. Uh, for mm. Lena Horne, the lady and her music live on Broadway. Okay. <laughs> uh, Betty Davis herself was 73 when the song yeah, came out. Yeah, I was going to say, she was definitely still alive. Yeah, she wrote uh, letters to Karn's wives and to Shannon to thank them for making her, quote, a part of modern times. Oh, and cool. And she said her, like, it was the first time her grandson thought she was cool. <laughs> uh, she also sent them roses after they won the Grammys, and uh, she has gold and platinum records uh, hanging on her wall. Or hang- she did at one point. What a mensch. Yeah. Love it. Uh, There are are a handful of covers of the song. Most notably, Gwyneth Paltrow covers the song in her 2000 movie Duet. Oh, have you seen that movie? I have not. Is it any good? I I used to like it when I would watch it, but I have a feeling it's probably not well reviewed. (laughs) Uh, Notably, the two stars of the movie are Gwyneth Paltrow and Huey Lewis. Oh, wow. And it's a movie about people who sing karaoke. Like people okay. who are super into it, you know, that go like every night and they're, you know, how they're all intertwined together. Well, now I kind of want to watch it. Yeah, I think it's probably worth seeing. Uh, Paul Giamatti's in it. Okay. There is a Kylie Minogue version. Uh, and superseding that, there is a Taylor Swift version. There is? She performs it on tour, or at least did perform it on tour, and it is on her Speak Now World Tour album. Really? So I just sent that over to you. Huh. It's it's fine. Uh, I feel like I'll be more interested in the Kylie Minogue version. Eight years before I was born, and I love this song. It's called Betty Davis' Eyes. Remember when Taylor used to play guitar? Yeah. Wow, she just straight up covers Betty Davis' Eyes. Acoustic. Oh, yeah. A little strange. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she can do whatever she wants, but yeah, that was what, like 2011. 
Uh, the band Silverdust does a metal version because, you know, gotta have a metal version. Of course. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. It, the first comment is this band is very underrated. <laughs> Are they? Uh, for a big metal fan, maybe. Yeah. Sometimes the metal ones are fun. This is this is not good. Uh, there is a Tom Bergeron version called uh, Marty Feldman Eyes. I'll send it to you. It's about like drinking coffee in the morning and getting Marty Feldman Eyes. <laughs> We've got the number one song in our American Flop 40 countdown. Who does this anyway? Uh, Tom Bergeron and the Realization Coffee Clatch Orchestra sing Marty Feldman. Oh, my God. Speaking of Marty Feldman, I was just talking about Young Frankenstein because I just saw Poor Things. Oh, yeah, one one more. Young young Frankenstein vibes. Caffeine rise. You brew a pot that's bold. You've got Marty Feldman eyes turned on the percolator. This is so ridiculous. <laughs> a tribute to coffee addiction. Wow. I feel like it could be better. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what do you expect? Come on. You knew this was coming next. We'd want no other coffee to give us the old Marty Feldman eyes, aside from Dark Matter coffee. And I know the feeling they're describing in that absurd parody when I've had a little too much of the good stuff. Though I must say, Dark Matter Coffee's balanced, often sweetly bold roasts instead have us feeling perfectly enlivened, ready for anything, not quite out of our minds. And you too can enjoy this sensation by heading to darkmattercoffee.com, ordering some of their fine coffee beans, which are sourced based on traceability, innovation, and social responsibility, and getting free shipping on us using the code WANTEDAHITCAST. That's all one word, WANTEDAHITCAST, at checkout, darkmattercoffee.com. As you can imagine, the song is in a lot of films and, and movie, TV shows, uh, including the, the movie Take Me Home Tonight. Uh, mm. It's in Riverdale. It's been an episode of Gilmore Girls. The song would be um, in Gilmore Girls. So where are they now? Jackie D. Shannon, as I mentioned, had a lot of success in the music industry. Uh, she was married in the 70s, and I believe still is married. She has one son. Uh, currently, she is a correspondent from the radio program Breakfast with the Beatles. And <laughs> oh, I read one interview oh, with her. You're totally right. You know now. Because uh, that's a syndicated show. Yeah. So she's kept the whole Beatles thing up a little bit. Yeah, one of the interviews I read, she talked about touring with the Beatles and like being on their plane, hearing some of their songs for the first time. Um, so pretty yeah. cool stuff. So she's got a, I mean, obviously a, a crazy connection huh. there. Couldn't find too much information about the other writer, Donna Wise. Uh, I did find that she did go on to write many other songs, including a song that she would co-write with Kim Carnes entitled The Heart Won't Lie for Reba McIntyre and Vince Gill. Huh. She also wrote When the Money's Gone, which had become a big hit for Cher. Okay. But I couldn't figure out much hmm. more about her. Uh, before we talk about Kim, let's talk about Betty Davis. Her career spanned some 50 years and some 100 acting credits. Uh, she was definitely an icon of the golden age of movies. There are countless biographies mm-hmm. about her. Um, if you're interested in learning more, she seems like she was a bit of a controversial figure in her day. <laughs> a bit combative and a bit hard mm-hmm. to work with. Producer William Fry said that Davis was not a safe person to have around. She was <laughs> capable of blowing up at any time. James Cagney said, awesome. Davis's unhappiness seeped through to the rest of us. 
Jeez. And her biographer, Skifov, mentioned that I mentioned earlier, said, Davis was an angry woman for reasons nobody who knew her ever adequately explained to me and for reasons I still cannot fully understand. I mean, did you hear how the men spoke about her? Wouldn't you be angry all the time, too? That's fair. She was married multiple times and has three children, including B.D. Hyman, who wrote a controversial memoir about her childhood in 1985, My Mother's Keeper. Mm. Betty Davis had a big 1980s. Jane Fonda once said that just watching Betty Davis on screen was empowering to women. It's like, this is what's possible. This is the range and depth that is possible for women. Yeah. And similarly, Meryl Streep said, Betty Davis seemed willing. She even had an appetite for parts that were conventionally unappealing. Mm -hmm. She changed the requirement that actresses in the movies invariably be likable or attractive. She lifted the veil of appropriate behavior in women to expose what was scary, unexpected, or ugly. Along with all the actresses of my generation, I am a direct beneficiary of Betty Davis's will and determination because of her hard-fought achievements. We all had it a little easier. Yeah, I've, I can totally see the through line between Betty Davis and Meryl Streep. Yeah. Uh, just playing more. Uh, yeah, I feel like at that time, uh, there weren't as many roles for women that were bizarre or uh, kooky or evil, etc. Like it was it was just, uh, you know, characters. Yeah, absolutely. She, she was doing um, a lot of that. There's a lot of interviews with her. I, I watched one. Just to get a, a vibe on her for uh, with Johnny Carson. Yeah, we're back with Betty. As, uh, She's smoking as on the show. As we grow older, we seem oh, to yeah. have more and more in common. Different time. Sort of marriages, but now we're in serious trouble. Oh. We love to smoke. Oh, you shouldn't say that. What are you going to do about it? I'm trying to quit. You know what I think. You're trying to quit. <laughs> yes, ma'am. She's so deadpan. It's great. For who's one of the worst right. people you know in Hollywood? That I worked with. Or that you wouldn't want to work with again. If you don't, you don't have to comment one, on that. One million dollars fades on away. <laughs> Everybody you can put into this chair will tell you exactly the same. <laughs> what is it about Miss Dunaway that makes her... Well, she's just totally impossible. <laughs> really? Yes. I don't think we have the time to go into all the reasons. <laughs> oh, man. She just, let's put it... She is just uncooperative. I don't know if I mentioned this, but Betty died of complications from cancer in 1989 uh-huh. at 81 years old. Probably from the smoking. Hey, smoking uh, that much I, I, where you're smoking on the Johnny Carson show. I mean, yeah. making it to 81 is pretty later. good in the 80s. Uh, I did read that Kim and Betty struck up a friendship over the years and, and Kim would visit Betty often at her home. That's great. Nice. Also great because she didn't write the song. Yeah. Yeah. So like, they just have this connection through this song. Well, they, you know, they're, they're, they're the true performers, you know? That's wonderful. Kim would go on to write uh, and make music. Two of her singles just missed the top 10 in 1980s, Crazy in the Night from Barking at Airplanes and What About Me with Kenny Rogers and James Ingram. Oh. She would also have four top 10 adult contemporary songs in the 80s, including one mm. with Barbara Streisand. Oh, they got together they for did. a song. At one point, Love she it. had three songs in the charts simultaneously, one of her own, one with Streisand, and the one with Kenny and James, meaning that at one time she had a solo song, a duet song, and a trio song all in the charts together, which is pretty wild. Wow. That's an achievement. I, I can't imagine that many people have that. Uh, she would go on to be nominated for two more Grammys. Uh, she was featured in We Are the World. Oh. Uh, and she had songs in the Flashdance soundtrack as well as Spaceball soundtrack. She's so well-rounded. In the late... I know. In the late 1980s, she would re- reunite with producer Jimmy Bowen for a more country-style album, which featured 
session musicians Vince Gill and Lyle Lovitz. No big deal. And in the 1990s, she would permanently move to Nashville uh, and continue to write, including a song I mentioned uh, that she wrote with Donna, the the heart won't mm. lie, which actually would become number one for Reeve McIntyre and Vince wow. Gill. Uh, many country artists would record Kim songs in the 90s and early 2000s, including my old boss, Tim McGraw, <laughs> for You Don't Love Me no- Anymore. Uh, and she would continue to release albums, uh, sitting on recordings as background vocals, as well as uh, write and record songs for movie soundtracks well throughout the 2000s. She's still married to Dave Ellingson. She lives in Nashville, and she has two sons, Rye and Colin. Rye was named after Rye Cooter. They were friends. That's a cool thing. So, yeah. Uh, to wrap it up, I will, I will leave with a Tom Brahan quote <laughs> of again. Uh, he said, Strange things happened to pop music in the 80s. The order shifted. The people had to keep up. 1960s vintage rock stars had to contend with new sounds and images. They teased up their hair. They made videos for MTV. They piled shimmery synth all over their records. And yet, they still sounded like themselves. They still sounded like the singers who'd grown up fetishizing crackerly, warped old folk and blues records. And so these 80s songs, many of which became tremendous hits, seemed to belong to some kind of dreamlike in-between world. Voices rasp and groan and growl over drum machine pulses and soft, bleary keyboard mm-hmm. tones. It's weird. Sometimes, the weirdness works. And Betty Davis eyes is one of those times. Yeah, he's he's so right. It is kind of a like a stuck in time sort of song, but at a time where it could have never happened in any other era. Yeah. The way it sounds. He, he goes on to talk about how Kim wasn't a 1960s vintage rock star, but she had the vibe of one, which I think is so true. Yeah, like, she's totally, a badass totally. who from yeah. a young age knew what she wanted and she went after it and had many decades of, of, a, of a great music career. Yeah, and, yeah, and also I think just her voice too it really plays into that yeah i also find it so interesting that she circled back to country so heavily yeah after having these big synthesized pop hits and working with barbara streisand and and then it seems like the country community really kind of claimed her as, as their own uh later on well, i think as a writer she's much more of like a storytelling writer yeah and, and yeah you know in the 90s and 2000s still today that's country in a lot of ways whereas like Mm-hmm. In the 70s, that also was Barbara Streisand. Like, she was singing songs of that mm-hmm. nature. Uh, and people yeah. like her, not just country, you know? That's Betty Davis's. Oh, man. I didn't even have this song on my list, and I, I'm really glad we talked about it. It was delightful. Yeah, and uh, I haven't really thought that much about this song, but I like this song. I think it's it's cool. It's also super well-written. Yeah. Well, I always thought it was a weird one, so I'm glad we covered it. It is odd. It's definitely odd. It's very specific. Yeah. And also that they like just take this uh, person who's famous for their appearance, but you know, not famous for any particular like reason in that way. And then they're like, "Oh, but now whenever we're referring to a woman who's 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 dangerous and who you don't want to get involved with, <laughs> she's got Betty Davis eyes." It's just so Davis. funny. But but I guess it, it does kind of make sense with the roles that Betty Davis was yeah. playing. Where she was often that character in, in movies and Sucking you in. was someone you should watch out for. Sounds like you should watch out for her a little bit in real life. Should too. we? Uh, oh yeah. Should we bring this uh, phrase back into the the, the vernacular? Betty Davis yeah. eyes. Yeah, I, I hope. Next time our friend is, uh, you know, dating <laughs> dating a girl we don't trust, dude, she's got Betty Davis eyes, man. 
Or it's, it's 2 a.m. We're about ready to go home. Our friend won't stop talking to some girl at the bar. And he's like, we're like, dude, we got to go. She's got Betty Davis on. Betty Davis on. <laughs> and with that, that's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted a Hit. Thanks for listening. Good luck getting that song out of your head. If you enjoyed the show, please do all the things podcasts usually ask you to. They really help. Tell a friend about the show, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, write a review on your favorite podcast app, and visit our website, ywahpod.com. That's ywahpod.com for updates on new episodes and our merch store. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, coffee mugs, stickers, and more. And it all goes back into the podcast. We would love to hear what you thought of the episode. And we also want to hear if there's something that we missed. You can reach us on Instagram and Twitter at ywahpod or directly via email at ywhpod at gmail.com. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Beidler. And our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time.